This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. We got three guests, three really, really good guys. Matt Vaskersian from MLB Network and ESPN, longtime A's fan, former general manager of the San Francisco Giants, a three-time World Series champion. Bobby Evans will be here, and Tim Mead, the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. But we'll start out with our guy, Matty V. Matt, good to hear your voice. How you doing? Chris, doing great, man. Um, I'm, we, I, you know, we all have our complaints about where we are physically. Mine happens to be that uh, Snowmageddon has consumed the Northeast. And I've, I've been out here, I've been living out here now for over 10 years, and I've never seen a snow event like this one. It's not going to end for another 24 hours. We're about halfway through it, and we have uh, about a foot and a half on the ground right now where we are. So uh, it's crazy. I've never seen this kind of snow before. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you're, you you grew up in Northern California. My God, you lived in San Diego for years. Uh, I was just happy that we got to eat outside at a restaurant last uh, on Saturday, which was a big thing for my family. Uh, I, I don't know how you go from being a – of course, you went to USC. Uh, you go from being a California guy to now you're in all this snow. How do you do that? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not handling it real well. <laughs> I, I never do. I mean, I'm out there <laughs> – with the shovel, and my wife is from the Northeast. She is much uh, stronger and much more positive than I am. The first sign of coldness in the fingers, and I'm out. I'm like, you know, honey, I love you, but I'm I'm going in. I I, I, I can't shovel anymore. And it's, by the way, you just shovel, and in the next half an hour, it's the path that you cleared and groomed is gone. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not doing well. Yeah, this isn't uh, you in shorts and flip flip flops on the USC campus. <laughs> no, far cry from that. You know, at the age of fifty three, my shorts and flip flop days are winding down anyway, so I might as well put on some snow pants and be inside. What do you make of? I, I just I had a hard time thinking. Like, if the owners are going to offer full pay, why would you only say one fifty four and not one hundred and sixty two? I mean, I'm not the greatest negotiator of all time. I just found that, like, we're going to skip eight to ten games. Like, I, I didn't get that. How did, how did you read that? Well, for somebody like me who's been advocating a return to 154 or 153 for a long time, um, that was music to my ears. I think those extra off days in the schedule, in a you know, forget about the, the concerns over the current climate with the pandemic. It's just a much more sensible schedule to play – 153 or 154 
over 180 days as opposed to 162 and 180 days, which is the standard season. That's 18 days off over six months. That's three days off a month. It's just not right. It's just what you're asking is just ridiculous. Uh, but back to your question, I, I think there are, there is a lot of gamesmanship taking place here between the two sides. Uh, the owners care that the end of the rainbow for the owners is an expanded playoff format, which brings in a treasure trove of cash for the owners. The Players Association wants a piece of that pie. So the owners are dangling, okay, we'll give you your universal DH. That's, uh, you know, 20 to 25 roster spots across the American League that might not have existed ordinarily. And usually those are high paid prices. So you're going to bring up the median salaries everywhere. You're going to get that. The owners uh, know that they're going to make more with expanded playoffs. So does the Players Association. So right now, the number of games, um, discussions of full pay versus prorated pay, it's, it's all lending toward the, the discussion for a new collective bargaining agreement, which is needed because we're in the last year in 2021. It's a six-year cycle. This is year six. Um, so, it, you know, both sides are couching health and safety concerns uh, in, in their real end game, which is getting a CBA negotiated that's to the liking of their constituents. And I hate the fact that a global pandemic is being used as a negotiating chip for other business, but it is. And I think that that's kind of a broad answer to your question, but I think that's why we're hearing all these games being played on the number of scheduled games, uh, the, the months of the season. We're going to you know, push it back by a month and start on April 28th. All that makes sense given the condition of the world right now, but I think both sides have their eye on a new CBA and how it can, it can best serve their side. And, and it's always so weird, Matt, that like it, it's, they don't take the public – into consideration because we're about to have a Super Bowl. You know, we just had a national championship game. We're watching the, you know, here in the Bay Area, we're watching the Golden State Warriors. We're watching the San Jose Sharks. It's like baseball. You need to start on time and you need to go because if you don't, we're going to be looking at all these other sports and then we're going to turn to look at you and go, why, why are they able to play and you aren't? Yeah. um, There's, there's some truth to that, but I will say that, you know, now that the NHL's up, now that the NBA's up, do we really remember that they all started super late? Not really. And they all started late. Um, those sports were supposed to start in October. So if baseball scheduled to start on what it was, it March 30th or April 1st, if they start at the end of April, heck, I would even advocate the end of May makes sense. That's okay by me, especially if it means that extra time allowing for fans to be in ballparks, and that might happen, uh, especially if that extra time means getting games in without cancellation because there's herd immunity vis-a-vis the vaccine. I think it's okay to wait a little bit as long as you can play cleanly and get to a World Series. What has this offseason been like for you guys at the network? It's been weird. I mean, uh, we are, we're down to a really small group of people that can physically enter the premises. And uh, we've done, you know, I do the mornings there, uh, hot stove with Harold Reynolds. And, and we do, uh, we do our show from home a lot. We we're all equipped now with home studios. The quality's great. It's 
super convenient, but nothing beats being in the studio to look at the people you're working with. And it's just a lot easier to execute your business that way when you're physically present. So I, I never thought that I'd be a guy complaining about getting to work at home, but I'd much rather go into the studio. And it's been odd. So you're used to seeing hundreds of people at your workplace and we see handfuls now. So it's weird. And we're reporting on things like, uh, you know, pandemic ramifications and collective bargaining agreement. I would just rather talk about how much we love baseball and players and extraordinary feats of athleticism and interesting roster movement. But instead, you talk about a lot of business related stuff now. And that's that's just the way it is. I never thought I would miss the Oakland Coliseum as much as I do as someone that's worked around the A's and the Raiders for all these years. I, I, I really took it for granted. I mean, I have not been, it's been over a year. Like we were talking about it the last, you know, cause Gavin Newsom, our governor wanted to keep everybody out of the ballpark. So we've done everything from our home studios. I mean, the last baseball game I went to Matt was spring training last year. That's how long ago it's been since I've actually been at a game. Hey, that's crazy. I miss the Coliseum. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, uh, look, I was at the ballpark once last year, and it was for the postseason. We did – MLB Network does uh, postseason games. And uh, so I had a, a game out of the Marlins-Braves series. Uh, and the next day I had a game, that final game between the Dodgers and Padres, the two division series games. And um, it was weird. It was really weird being in the ballpark, especially considering – that, that the experience was real similar to doing a game from a, a, a studio. You do have your panoramic vision back if you're at the ballpark, but we didn't have access to the field. We didn't have access to the clubhouses. So in, in a sense, we were just calling the game off the monitors anyway, sitting up in the booth. At least you could see the field. You got better sense for what was happening during the game, but the access to the actual information was cut off and and I get it for it's understandable. We're not supposed to be down there with them. And, and we, we see on TV the great lengths that field reporters have to go to to interview people after a game, whether it's Fox or ESPN or any place like they're, they're standing a zip code apart. They've got microphones and headsets on and it looks weird and it is weird, but it's just how it has to be for now. You know, when I think about the A's, obviously, there's a lot of questions up the middle. What's going to happen at shortstop and second base? But you know, it, it always reverts back to this is what Billy Bean's been doing for over 20 years. And half the time, the A's make it to the postseason under Billy Bean. And when I look around the division, you know, and, and throw in David Force, also our general manager, when you look around the AL West, I, I know there's some questions, but I still see, and I'm wondering what, what you guys are saying there at the network, I still see the A's as the favorite in the West. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't, you know, it's a little closer perhaps than it, than it was the last year or so in my mind, if only because the A's offseason has been defined by departures exclusively. And, you know, whether you're talking about LaStella going across the bay, uh, the Simeon thing really, really hurts. And I know A's fans feel the same about that. Losing Robbie Grossman, like he was a better player than a lot of people outside of Oakland understood for the A's. He was the guy for me that really connected the lineup. Um, maybe Fires comes back. I know he's expressed a desire to return, but so far there have been no ads and all departures. So even though 
Houston isn't what they were a few years ago, and certainly not now with Springer gone. Even though the Angels still need pitching like crazy, despite uh, trading for Alex Cobb today, unless Trevor Bauer signs someplace else in the AL West, then I kind of agree. You know, the A's have to be installed as the favorites. And if you look at the betting angle, uh, the all the futures advanced stuff where you can bet division winners, the A's are the favorite in the AL West. But, you know, Seattle hasn't closed the gap yet, nor has the Rangers. So to your point, yeah, the A's are probably the favorites despite all the guys that have bolted. You know, you think about the money that actually has been spent this offseason. I, 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 I guarantee that we, we would have never said, you know what? I think the biggest spenders are going to be the Padres and the Blue Jays. But, Matt, <laughs> I mean, they, 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 these two franchises, they look to be all in. Yeah, they do. And, and think about, in the, in, in the case of the Padres, think about what their load-up has done to the other teams in the division. I'm not sure if the Rockies would be uh, dealing Nolan Arenado as they have if they thought there was more of a chance that they might be the next best team in the division behind the Dodgers, but they're clearly not. So, so they get rid of a franchise guy, a legacy player, for a return package that's still undefined and for fans won't be enough regardless of who you throw in it. Uh, same with the Diamondbacks. I, the Diamondbacks are not I don't think they scare anybody, and, and nobody's loading up between the other teams in the division. Uh, the, the Giants have made some nice little ads, but the Giants, Diamondbacks, and Rockies, it's almost like it's a go get them in, in the next three years cycle they're in because they know that they're talent for talent, they're not going to catch either one of those teams. You know, the Padres have spent to beat the Dodgers this year. I don't care what anybody says, but I mean, if they don't finish ahead of the Dodgers, then it's a it's a, a mission that they failed to accomplish because, I mean, my heavens, if you bring in only Darvish or Snell in one off season, you've really done a lot. But to add both of those guys in the off season, it's crazy. If we had suggested that any time in the last couple of years, that both of those guys had landed San Diego in the same winter, you'd have thought we were nuts. <laughs> I know. And, 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 and the big question is, is it enough? I mean, do they have enough to catch the Dodgers who, uh, Matt, let's face it, they're like on a, a, a mid-90s Atlanta Braves run where they've won the division eight straight years. I mean, the Braves did, what, 14? I mean, to win your division eight straight years is amazing. It is, and it, 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 it does say, it says a lot about the Dodgers, certainly not to detract from what they've accomplished, but the, the rest of that division is not that good and hasn't been that good for a while. Arizona and Colorado, they have these spike years where they're good enough to get to a division series or a wild card and no further. Uh, the Padres were that team last year. The Giants have really floundered the last couple of years. Um, it's, it's been the Dodgers to lose, and they go run roughshod over everybody. And in part, based on getting fat against your own division, they put up 95 to 100 win regular seasons and then roll. I mean, they're they're good. They've done everything right. They've added the right players, guys like Max Muncy. I know that still pains A's fans as it does me, but you add a guy like that who has basically no cost uh, and you strike gold. And there've been guys like that. Chris Taylor was another one who was a Mariners discard that the Dodgers turned into a great player. They spend the right money on the big ticket guys. They've drafted and developed, you know, Seager, et cetera, that whole group that's homegrown. 
Then you go and you trade for bets. I mean, they've done everything right, and and they've been helped by a, a poor division. Let's end on this, going back to your NFL days, and we're about the same age, and growing up, you know, everybody kind of had their time, whether it's Raiders, Niners, Giants, Redskins, you know, everybody kind of had. But the fact that Tom Brady, it, there's been 55 Super Bowls, and he's played in 10 of them, I mean, my God, man. I mean, just the run for this guy, it's just it's it's just incredible. How do you see the Super Bowl? Uh, I like the Chiefs. I'll lay the three. Um, total at 56, and everybody jumps on the overs for big uh, big games like this with widespread appeal, and that, that's baked into the, tum- the, the total. So I like the Chiefs and the under in this. Uh, I don't see a scenario – where the Chiefs lose. I just don't. Brady can have the day of his life, and I just don't think Mahomes can be stopped. There's so much more weaponry in the Chiefs' attack. And um, to your point about Brady, it's amazing, but I, I think this one belongs to the Chiefs. That's just my guess. Well, I got I got to thank you for what you do on the network. You know, we watch it every single morning. And, you know, one of the things I love about Harold Reynolds is the fact that you know he truly loves the game. And you guys, the passion that you guys have for the game, it's so entertaining. So thank you for what you do. You make my mornings far better here on the West Coast. Uh, it's kind of to say, Chris, I appreciate the kind words. And uh, just one last football note, because this is an Oakland-based thing. Tom Brady may have played in 10 of 55 Super Bowls, but um, favorite and best ever are different conversations. And if Tom Brady's the best ever, uh, Ken Stabler will never not be my favorite quarterback of all time. How about my guy, Jim Plunkett out of San Jose? Love him. Love Jim Plunkett. He is a really close one a, but for me, it was, I, it was the snake, man. He was my guy. Can you imagine back in the day where Joe Namath and Kenny Stabler were on the same team at Alabama, what that would have been like? Cannot imagine there would have been enough, enough beer in the, in the, in the clubhouse refrigerator for those two kids. No chance. <laughs> I can't even imagine. What, I mean, to have those two guys at the same college uh, running the town would have just been incredible. Man, hey, thank you. Uh, we always appreciate it. You are the best. We love what you do. Uh, watching you every single morning. And be safe and uh, stay warm there on the East Coast. All right, Chris. Good talking to you, man. See you later. He's always repping the A's no matter where he goes. Here's Bobby Evans, three-time World Series champion, former executive for the San Francisco Giants. Bobby Evans, former general manager of the San Francisco Giants, a World Series champion, is going to join us. Bobby, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Life is, uh, life's going. I can't wait for uh, baseball to get going, pitchers and catchers. But uh, have to ask you. How uh, you and the Duke are doing a uh, podcast? How are things going with that? You know, it's a lot of fun. Of course, he's he's become a professional at this. I I feel like I'm a, a fish out of water on, on some level, but I, you know, it's fun. I you know, we all love talking the game, and so we you know get getting to talk it with whether current or former executives or current or former players and the stories. I mean, you know, we sit around at the ballpark, you know, for twelve. 14 hours a day and eventually we we get into some of those stories and so it's nice to get a taste for that uh you know even during the off season well yeah i mean both of you you know with great experience in your careers and can talk about 
you know, World Series and winning and, and the pressure of being a, a general manager. And I got to think right now, Bobby, with we really don't know the rules. We don't know postseason where we can't. You know, who knows with COVID and how many games you're going to play. I mean, just trying to build your team with about 10 days to go before pitchers and catchers report, how tough is it on these front offices? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's really tough, you know, first and foremost for the players who are trying to prepare for a season and they don't know where they're going to be. And, and then I think even more so for the players, if the union had agreed to that deal and after getting so close to being ready for spring training, they got pushed back 30 days, that could have been pretty tough too. But yeah, if you're, a, if you're a front office right now and you have not, you know, prepared for an opening on time, you're definitely scrambling to finish conversations that you probably started, but weren't sure, you know, what, what speed of, of light you need to operate in. And uh, it, I think it's, I think it's a relief for everybody. Um, I think, I think the owners made a, a strong proposal, but I think it is a relief ultimately for everybody for this, this thing to get started on time and get going. And when you think about building your squad, if it is true that the minor leaguers are not going to show up until the big leaguers leave. So I guess you got your 40 man roster. I guess you can have some special invitees, but you're not going to be able to play nearly the amount of games that you normally would play split squads and all of that. Right, Bobby, because you're just not going to have the bodies. Well, again, if, if they're only bringing 40 man rostered, that, that would be the problem, but I think they'll bring enough non-roster invites. Um, the question is whether, you know, you'll, they'll bring enough to fill out a triple a squad. And I, I haven't seen that, Chris. I mean, if they've already determined they're not going to bring in those extra guys, yeah, that's going to put a, a real a real roadblock to playing the number of games you're used to playing. But I, I don't know how you get through a spring without having extra guys because, you know, no player plays nine innings the first game. You're going to have to have a pretty significant amount of depth and that, and, and not to mention pitching. So you, you've got to have, you know, at least the 55-plus bodies to, to get through a spring. This was funny last year at spring training. Uh, it was Dodgers against the A's. And at the end of the game, the Dodgers had the bases loaded. They had two number 88s and an 89. I don't think we're going to see that this spring. Yeah, well, they, they, I know why they had two 88s. That was a good year for them. Um, but, yeah, I – I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a different, it's a, it's a different time in the spring to, you know, to get guys, you know, if you don't have minor guys in minor league camp, it really does put the, the pressure on your coaches, on your players to, to stay ready and, and be there to finish games or whatever the case may be. But again, you can't get through a spring with 40 man, 40 man roster. You you're going to have to have a, a, a pretty good load of guys extra, especially with COVID. You never know if somebody tests positive, that takes them out too. Yeah, that and, and, and it's just inevitable, right? As a front office, you, somebody in your organization at some point is going to get COVID. Isn't that how, how you have to prepare? Of course. I mean, and, and then you're not only the person that got COVID, but the, pers- the persons that were, you know, in close contact that had some level of exposure then have to have some, you know, degree of quarantine themselves. And, you know, I, I applaud, you know, baseball for finishing the year last year. I, obviously, the NBA and NFL. Uh, getting through this, these seasons, um, you know, and, and baseball is now up for, you know, taking on the challenge of trying to, to do 162. And I believe they can do it, but it is going to take a lot of patience and a lot of perseverance and a lot of 
a collaboration and cooperation on the part of players and front offices and medical staffs and you know just just look forward to hopefully a day where the fans can can get back to the ballpark too you know i think about the padres and you know getting darvish and snell and you know they made these big moves and next you know people are like look out for san diego but then trevor bauer signs today with the los angeles dodgers what were your first thoughts when you heard about the deal well, I mean, you know, the, the Dodgers were opportunistic. I mean, this 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 is a short-term deal which, you know, if you're if you're a major league club, you know, it's a lot of money, but if you're able to get a short-term deal with a pitcher of that caliber, I mean, that's a win-win and I think he'll be worth every penny just because it is such a short-term deal, although there are opt-outs and he'll he very well might he's the kind of guy who might very well take an opt-out. Um I know I know he talked about being happy with short a short-term deal at one point, but I got to believe that you know, a long-term deal is, is much more desirable in the long run. So, you know, who knows? I'm sure the Dodgers, if he does well, will probably offer an extension at the right time. But these are pretty pretty astounding AAVs. I mean, you know, I hear hearing $30 and $40 million. Those are, those are pretty strong numbers. Yeah, I mean, you, you negotiate some big deals, Bobby. I mean, what's that like when you're talking about this type of life-altering money? It's generational wealth. Oh yeah, I mean it is, and and of course a lot of times, a lot of times you you know you don't know who your competition is, but you know you know if there's any competition outside of the state of California, the agent's going to mention that because there are a few taxes here that people have to pay. Um, but you know it, it, sometimes when you you know you look back on on deals that we made that were you know whether a hundred or hundred and fifty million, that's small potatoes now with with guys getting you know this last off season last year you know over 300 million um it's 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 unbelievable i mean you know, at some point you know we're, we're already way exceeding the price that our owners paid to buy the club you know 20 plus years ago so 25 plus years ago so yeah i mean these are these are life-changing numbers for these players and you know i know that they hope they they're able to uh, live up to those deals but it, it's hard especially when they're you know, last year, some 10 and 12 year, 12 year long deals. Yeah, and, and from a front office standpoint, I, I don't know if you really can have a handle on what pitching is going to be like this year, since, you know, pitchers only pitched in 60 games. There's a bunch of minor leaguers who didn't pitch at all. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing people say you're going to need to stack up uh, as many pitchers and starters as you can, because, there may not be guys out there that can give you 30 starts just from a stance, a front office standpoint. What do you think that's going to be like building your pitching staff when you really don't know how many innings you're going to get out of them? Yeah, well, it's going to require, you know, obviously the depth that you're referring to. I mean, and, and maybe that, maybe there's a strategy that can be invoked to, you know, to, to spread, to spread out some of those starts or, um, you know, maybe, you know, slow down how how soon you you try to ask them for for a, a, a second or third time through the order knowing that the, you know this is going to be a lot longer year compared to last year of only 60 games so it'll it'll definitely be a, a, a challenging dynamic it'll challenge it'll challenge some of the guiding principles of of what we've done with pitching for years I mean you know you try not to increase somebody's innings but so much per year and, and no matter how you slice it this year your starting pitchers are gonna you know you know easily double and in some cases more than double of course their innings and that that's not typically what we've wanted to do with our pitching staff and 
Um, you know, and, and even now it's going to affect your bullpen arms too, even though they may be one or two inning guys, they're still going to have quite an increase in innings from the previous year. And you're just gonna have to really monitor them. I mean, we've got a lot of great technology that helps us read, you know, how guys are doing, not just, you know, not just them telling you, but also we can measure things that we've never could measure before. And, and now with, uh, with, with uh, the benefit of our strength and conditioning team, you know, it'll be a, a close analysis to make sure you don't lose, lose guys to injuries if you can help it. What, what do you think it's going to be like when you're trying to make trades and you're discussing minor league guys who they haven't played baseball in well over a year? Like, I, I know you've probably, you know, you have to rely on your scouts who saw them, but not playing baseball for well over a year, a lot of things can change. Well, it's a risk. I mean, I mean, even these trades that have been made this winter, there's a certain level of risk that, you know, the general managers are taking, you know, with the prospects and, and even the clubs that are trading the guys, not just the ones acquiring the younger players, but the ones that are trading the, the players, you just don't know where they're at. Now, to some extent, you probably learned some of it, you know, by way of work ethic or some of it by way of instructional league or, or offsite camps that you've had with your players uh, during, during the, during the fall. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's huge huge risk of of players exchanging hands that you really had no idea they had gotten that much better, or that much stronger, or that much um, more competitive. And yet, at the same time, you're going to acquire some guys that you had no idea they they had had slid backwards from missing a whole year of baseball. And uh, it, it's going to limit some of those deals. And it's 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 one of the reasons that you see higher end guys, and you know, in particularly your top five prospects in your organization, you know, tend to be held on to right now because no one really knows where they're at necessarily. And I just feel so bad for all these guys. You can take that to college. You can take it to high school, but you know, dealing with the minor leagues, your career is only so long as of right now, you've lost a season and they still haven't told us when minor league baseball will even start. We have no clue just how bad do you feel for all these players who their career is is just been put on ice. Well, yeah, we tell players from the time they step into the organization, we've always told them that, you know, you only have so much of a window and, you know, take advantage of every opportunity that we give you. We're going to be trying to build the best staff, the best medical team, the best facilities, the best technology, best uh, analytics uh, behind what you're doing to teach you, to prepare you, to get you ready, but just understand your window is only so big. And, and then, you know, for someone to lose a whole season, uh, like so many of these minor league players did last year, yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's really hard. I mean, it's it's you can't get it back. And the the learning curve, you know, is so sharp when you're leaving college ball and coming into pro ball. You've got a lot to learn, a lot to get used to, um, and you know, they missed out on that. And, and I give organizations credit who did do the instructional league, so at least you got some familiarity with the program, with the organization, with the facilities, with the, the, the way they manage their players. But, you know, it does set people back and it is going to hurt, you know, players progress and it could slow down the development. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't change their clock. I don't think, I mean, they're, they're still going to have to get protected after, after the number, the three or four or five years when they're eligible to be placed on a rule five uh, or 40 man roster for the rule five. So it's, it's not, it doesn't benefit anybody, the player or the organization. Yeah, it's just it's just sad. And and and, and we always need to ask you about Egyptian baseball. Uh, it's fascinating. But COVID is all around the world. Uh, did COVID really affect those kids that you guys have been working with in Egypt? 
Well, it, it really did slow it down. I mean, we had to do we had to do some online coaching and some online training, at least to get more coaches uh, trained that are that are living uh, in in Egypt, uh, just to try to help uh, get get the, get hopefully a, a a spring season together for next year. But yeah, the the slowness of vaccines and the the, the longevity of this uh, pandemic has has certainly you know, slowed the progress because we, we'd gotten up to, you know, over a thousand kids playing baseball over there. And, and now we're, we're going to have to, you know, make sure we, we maintain those as well as get the next wave of guys of kids. And uh, the nice thing is the school programs over there are supporting this effort. It's not just happening through, uh, you know, because baseball's outside uh, Saturday league. It's also uh, schools are partnering with because baseball to make sure that, uh, the, the school PE programs are teaching baseball and distributing gloves and bats and balls. And you know, obviously the sponsors with Because Baseball really make a huge difference in making that possible. Uh, it's a fascinating story. And I think there's going to be a point where we finally have an Egyptian Major League Baseball player. And I think you and your people are going to be really proud. Yeah, I think I think it's going to happen, and I think he's going to be left-handed. That, just from watching some of those kids over there, I saw I saw one particular left-hander that, my goodness, I mean, I, I he he's so young and he's just learning the game, and he's so athletic, and he obviously already loves it. I, I think I think there's going to be some surprises from over there one of these days. Well, continued success with everything you're doing, especially with your new podcast, and hopefully next time we talk, we're actually talking about baseball games being played. Well, exactly. That's that's the goal. And I, I, I sure hope so. Thanks for the time, Chris. It's good to be with you. Good to be. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk soon. Thank you. You too now. And we'll end with Tim Mead. Tim Mead used to be a vice president with the Angels, but then took the job to be president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Truly one of the coolest jobs in our game. Here's Tim. Tim, it's great to hear from you again. How is everything at the Baseball Hall of Fame? Chris, it's great. It's uh, a little chilly outside. Don't let the sun, uh, d- you know, distract you from how cold it really is. But it's it's beautiful Cooperstown in January. Yeah, I remember we talked to you right before uh, you you left and, and you left the Angels and just 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 talk about you know being the president of truly one of the great museums that we have in the United States of America. What has the experience been like for you? Well, first and foremost. I think any job in baseball is a privilege and a blessing, and to be here, it's just compounded even more. Uh, it, it really is, is, is your description of what Cooperstown and the, the Hall of Fame is on really a, a national and an international level. It's, it's an honor. It's something I don't take for granted. Uh, it's been an adjustment in terms of, of learning curve. You know, when you uh, work for an organization, you, you pretty much better get up feeling like you know everything you need to know or there is about that organization. When you come to Cooperstown in this role, you realize how much you need to learn about the history of the game. And not just stats and players, but really kind of the true history. So for me, every day is an ongoing education, and I love it. You know, I I know it's it's not easy to get there, but I tell all baseball fans, if you ever get a chance, uh, I love going in the fall when the leaves turn and the weather still is pretty nice. But uh, Hall of Fame weekend, Tim, I was able to go in 1999 with George Brett, Nolan Ryan, Robin Yount, and Orlando Cepeda went in. It is such a special weekend where all the old Hall of Famers come back. And you can be walking down the street, and I ran into Tom Seaver. 
the late great Tom Seaver in 1990. I mean, just the. If you're a baseball fan, Tim, I think it is a must that you have to go at least once to see the museum. It's so special. Chris, I agree with you. And, and I think for the most part, outside of the you know the residents here in town, if, if you visit Cooperstown, you want to be here. You, you're, you're a baseball person. Certainly we have the lake and it's, you know, this is Americana when you look down Main Street. But to come to the Hall of Fame, I think you've, you've already checked the box about being a baseball fan. And it's something that's about the purity of it, the genuineness of it. Uh, we call it, obviously, the symbolic home of baseball. But when you walk in that museum, whoever your favorite player is or your favorite team, you have a different perspective by the time you leave about, again, my favorite word here now is totality of the game and your favorite player's place in it or your team's place in it. Because it's just history. And as hard as our curatorial uh, folks work, it's it's really an unfiltered history. And and that's the beauty of it. When you can walk, particularly now after we lose Hank Aaron, uh, you know, recently, and you walk by and see Chasing the Dream and see all of his artifacts, you realize, like so many of them, really, Chris, when you think about it, how much bigger they were than just being the, the, the ball players we revere. Yeah, we've lost so many Hall of Famers lately. It's It's been really sad. I mean, some of the greatest players of all time, you mentioned Hank, and we just lost Don Sutton and Tommy Lasorda, and it's the, the list, Al Kaline and Seaver. It's just it's just uh, Joe Morgan. You know, we got to talk to Joe when we were uh, on hiatus last season, and we were celebrating the 1972 World Series, and we brought Joe on, and uh, it was great to talk to him, and unfortunately pass right right after that but you know i think when you go into that plaque room tim it's kind of, it's like church everybody is silent you don't hear anything and everybody just has so much respect and it's so classy and the plaques are so beautiful it, you know the, the rest of the hall of fame is great but just talk about when you go into that plaque room it, it really is a sacred place i think you described it perfectly there's a certain reverence you know we don't have a sign that says please be quiet uh, but I think you know what you're walking into when you look at those plaques and you reflect, you learn, you realize uh, again in 2021, which you probably don't know uh, from 1915 when you look at players and, and, and plaques from that period of time. But it's, it's the, again, it's a culmination of careers, years, seasons, historical moments, and legacies. And as long as time, and I very very few times can we ever use the word never, but um, those those plaques will never come down as long as people with two feet roam the world, and and that's the beauty of it. And the responsibility when you walk in there is, you know, it's going to continue to grow. Uh, for older people, it takes you back to your childhood. For children, it takes you up, you know, an opportunity to look at heroes of the past and people that. In many respects, you kind of want to model yourself after in terms of being an athlete and a quality person as well. Uh, you know, there, there's across the spectrum of accomplishment and contributions not only to the game but society as well. And it's a it's a special room. There's times that I go in there um, if I'm coming, you know, late before I leave to go back go back to the house, or if I'm coming from the museum side through there, I just kind of walk through a, a little alcove and, and try to study a new two or three plaques. Uh, I don't know that I'll leave here having the verbiage of all 333 memorized, uh, but it's a nice goal to have. 
you know, Larry Walker obviously was a great player, and Derek Jeter is one of the most popular players in the history of the game. And because of COVID-19, uh, didn't have the ceremony last year. I know you're going to have it this year. No one was voted in this year. But I just think of the amount of people in New York that were going to come and really from all over to celebrate Derek Jeter. The crowd would have just been incredible. As I said, I was there in 99, which was just amazing. What's the plan this season for for Jeter, Walker, and how are you guys going to handle it? Well, we will have an induction. The, the class of 2020 will definitely be inducted this summer, July Sunday, July 25th. Uh, right now, we're kind of at the mercy of regulations and guidelines and things that are out of our control. We certainly have options that we're, we're looking at and exploring. And as the, the days and weeks go on, we're going to button those up. But you have to kind of be prepared for different scenarios. And because all of us in the last 10 months or almost 11 months now have, have really tried to live our lives against the unknown, uh, we're no different even in the planning purposes. So that's why you have to have you know, option A, B, C, and hopefully not go to D and E. But uh, we're, we're going to see what the governor and the state, uh, where we're at as we move closer, hopefully to, as I like to say, the, the intersection of hope and optimism. I think we're getting closer to that than, uh, than we were the other direction. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you've been really able to talk to him, but but what's it been like for, for, for Derek Jeter and Larry Walker during this time where, you know, you should have been inducted last, I mean, it's last year. It's got to be really strange for them. Well, I think it is, and I think it's a great question, Chris, and it's strange for everybody because it's just, you know, we had, uh, it, it's just things that haven't happened. So we've all had to adjust on the fly. There's There's been no segment of society that's, has not been affected. I think you're talking about three pros and, uh, you know, Ted Simmons, Larry Walker, and certainly Derek Jeter. And there's the national interest and the local interest in, you know, and in, in Derek being inducted. But really, it's a class. And we've kept each of those gentlemen uh, apprised of where we're at, uh, some long-term thinking, where we might go. But again, as we sit here today, to say certainty, the only thing I can tell you is July 25th will be the day Beyond that, we're just going to have to, to see which one of the plans work best, given the circumstances that lie ahead. You know, it was 1996. It was really like the last family trip where, you know, before my brother and I were married, it was just my parents. And and we went to the Baseball Hall of Fame and, and they have some of my grandfather's stuff down below. It's uh, the ball, the bat for his 2000th hit. So we went down below and, you know, you see the guys in the lab coats and the, and the gloves and how you guys care for every single piece. And when we were there, Mark McGuire just hit a big home run, so his bat was there. The amount of stuff you get from around baseball year-round, where do you keep all this stuff? Because you get so much. It's like it's like amazing the amount of stuff and, and memorabilia and stuff that you have there at the hall. How do you store it all? Well, it's uh, our curatorial people and, and – uh the librarians and, and team do a phenomenal job. There was a renovation several years ago. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be up against storage space. New technology helps. But if you come through the hall, arguably, you're going to see about 10% of the collection. I think that's kind of standard for a lot of museums. I think the Smithsonian is that way. But we have over you know, 40,000 artifacts. And, and, uh, they are very well maintained in a, in a temperature controlled environment. Uh, once we access something into our, our collection, 
that will never be touched by human hands again without gloves. And, uh, you know, if we were had something brought up to my office and we we're going to show somebody and they weren't here, we go through the same process as if you were here, Chris, and I was given a, a, a demonstration. So, you know, we're going to work on, we continue to work on storage and, and plans. We're all right here for a few more years. Uh, I guess this is probably the place where I say it's a nice problem to have. And that's the truth. It's a nice problem to have that, that you continue to receive the artifacts and we're going to have a, have a space issue. Yeah. And, and what people need, if you haven't been to the Hall of Fame, what people need to understand, it's just not you know, a bunch of bats and balls and gloves. When you're on that timeline, you see a lot of personal stuff like Cy Young's license plate, CY and his wins. And then, you know, there's a couple of Yankee wives and the charm bracelets from the World Series and All-Star Games. So uh, you can talk to that. It's more than just bats and balls. There's so many personal stuff that you have from players throughout the history of the game. And that's a great point, Chris. We have you know, we have uh, golfing trophies from Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb, and and we have Dr. Fauci's mask uh, that that he wore uh, at press conferences and and then thrown out the first pitch at the Nationals game. Uh, it's important to tell a story, and ironically, you're you're 100 percent right. This just if if you went to a museum and all you saw were bats and balls, uh, you'd probably lose your your interest, but you know, there's score sheets from no hitters and uh, people associated with the game, something special. Um, you know, we have the rally monkey from the 2002 angel season, which obviously I'm tad partial to. Uh, so every organization has a story beyond just the artifacts. And the other thing is, you know, there's been 20,000, 23,000 players who've played baseball and the hall of fame was created in 36 the first class in 39 uh, you don't have to be a hall of famer to have an item here and i think that's sometimes what people have to realize as well but it could be glasses from somebody or or the pen used the green letter from president roosevelt so it, it's much more than an equipment hall of fame or museum so since you've been there now for a while, what's something that, you know, you've been in baseball your, your entire career. What's something you learned about the Hall of Fame that you didn't know going in? That's a great question. I, I knew there were a lot of artifacts. Well, what I've learned about it is the thought process. This is the biggest thing. The thought process that goes behind every exhibit. Because you're talking about something that could stay up anywhere between 10, 15 years and maybe a little bit longer that it's not an institution that just throws something together there's a thought process used with a historical lens uh, not with any kind of predetermined bias or judgment we try to tell history as it is we address steroids you know at, at some point moving for, forward we will address 2020 we'll address the houston uh, situation of a few years ago uh, so attention to detail, uh, you know, I come from a world where speed was key, uh, precision is key here, and the programs and the processes in, in place, phenomenal, and I've also learned about, you know, there's the Hall of Fame aspect, but everything associated with the Hall of Fame specifically is the integrity of processes. Uh, if you, Chris, if you sent me something and it was, 
had the hologram that it was a piece of equipment that was used in this game or whatever, we still have a process in place where we verify it. So that the, the 100, 100% goal is never to showcase anything in that museum that is has not been authenticated uh, by our investigation and research. Well, we know how beautiful Orange County is down in Southern California. Uh, how much did your wardrobe have to change uh, moving to New York? <laughs> Well, let's just say I do have a winter wardrobe now. Um, <laughs> in, in fact, uh, when I woke up this morning, it was zero and minus eighteen. You know, it says that feels like uh, on your on your phone, and so it felt like minus eighteen. So I pulled out the heavy parka today. Uh, for fifty-one years, I never had such a thing in Southern California. So when I go back, it's uh, it's a little bit different from leaving here. If it's a winter, the winter time to arrive in a John Wayne Airport and you know, people are huddled up because or bundled up because it's 52 or 54. Um, I have I have no sympathy anymore after time here. <laughs> you, you, you know, we always joke about the Hall of Fame that when you close the doors at night, do the Hall of Famers do they talk to each other? Do they play ball again? Uh, it's such a spiritual place for baseball fans, Tim. And uh, every single time I'm able to go, it's just uh, there, there's there's just that feeling. There's there's no place like the Baseball Hall of Fame. I recently got a chance to do the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. That was really special. But the Baseball Hall of Fame and the fact that you get to be the president of it, what what just what a great time for you and your career because it, it really is one heck of a job. Chris, I, I appreciate those words, and I appreciate your enthusiasm and passion for here, for Bob Kendrick's uh, you, you know, venue in Kansas City. But let's all hope that at the end of the day that there's kind of that night at the museum, you know, with Robert, Robin Williams and, and, and Ben Stiller and all, that these guys do get together and tell stories, and we're just not part of being able to see it or hear it. And, and let's hope that their spirits do get together in that gallery and share stories and say, if I was pitching against you or hitting against you, this is what the outcome would be. Because wouldn't be that wouldn't that be tremendously special for all of us? Yeah, that would be so cool. Tim, we miss seeing you with the Angels, but congratulations on all the success and good luck with the uh, ceremonies coming up this summer. Hopefully we'll have a, uh, a, a better grip around COVID-19, but it's always great to talk to you. Be well, be warm, and, we'll, and be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Chris, I appreciate the opportunity, and we will see you down the road. Well, we'd like to thank Matt Vaskersian, Bobby Evans, and Tim Mead. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, 
There's joy in every journey.